Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, Chase couldn't join this week. He is out actually in BC. And uh, to replace him, I brought in Trevor Shackles from Hockey Buzz. He's a writer for them of the Ottawa Senators. He's also one half of the Cost Per Point cast. Uh, Trevor, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so today we're just going to look at some news, and then because Trevor also covers the Sens, I figured we could talk about that. So sorry, everyone. It will be a Sens-based podcast for the second half of it. But there was a bunch of news that happened over the past week, so I figured we could break some stuff down. I want to start with the Samuel Gerard trade, or uh, contract extension, sorry. I wanted to get your thoughts on it, and... Uh, overall what the deal was like for him and the team. Right. I mean, I think it, it's definitely an interesting deal. It's one that it, it's a big risk for the Avs. Um, I wouldn't say Gerard is necessarily a bona fide stud right now. Um, obviously, giving seven years, is that's a lot of term. Um, I'm surprised, you know, looking at his, his stats page right now, I'm surprised that he has actually played all, uh, 155 games already in the NHL. I thought it was much less, but... Deals like this are, I think it's advantageous for a team like Colorado to do this. The cap hit of $5 million really isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, if you can, if you're expecting him to be a first pairing defenseman, I mean, I, I say go for it, especially with, um, obviously, Miko Rantanen remains unsigned. McKinnon is going to be wanting a, a new contract in a few years as well. I guess that still has quite a, quite a few years left, but Nevertheless, I mean, this is a team that's going to have some star-level players, and if you can get a guy like Gerard, um, who you think is going to be a top-level player for only $5 million, I say go for it. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I really liked what Colorado is going for this uh, for with this deal. I would agree that I don't think Gerard is a bona fide top-pair defenseman just yet, but I think it's probably fair to say that he's at least a uh, second-pair guy who could easily take mm-hmm. that step forward. And I think taking a bet on him, who I believe he is turning 22 this season, uh, that seems like a smart enough bet. You have him locked up until he's 29 years old, at which point you could walk away. And as you said, one of the biggest reasons uh, for the abs not doing quite as much as maybe some people thought this offseason was because of the fact that they were worried about contracts going forward. Miko Rantanen, then in a couple of years, Nathan McKinnon. And um, Cal McCarr will want to raise in three years when his deal's up. And, you know, they have Connor Timmins and guys like that in the minor. So I really like what they're doing here. And for Sam Girard, I was a little surprised he didn't bet on himself. But, I mean, at the same time, Colorado is one of the most exciting young teams in hockey. So almost, not almost, not guaranteeing, but guaranteeing that you're there for a few years because you're on a very team-friendly deal seems like a good enough bet as well. For sure. And I, like you mentioned, I mean, yeah, he, he's very young. He's only 21 uh, he, he's going to be 29 when he is a free agent. So, you know, that's still, that's not in your prime or anything, but I think there's a reasonable chance that when he does hit free agency, he'll still get handsomely paid, maybe even more than uh, than his current contract. So it's not as if he's, you know, not getting any money in this deal. Like he still is going to be paid pretty well for the next seven years. Yeah, he's making $35 million. It's not like that is nothing by any means. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was just looking at his, so Evolving uh, Wild, or sorry, Evolving Hockey has him as a slightly below offensive defenseman in expected goals in Corsi, and then above average in defensive expected goals, and then on the power plays above average in all three categories of goals for, expected goals, and Corsi for. I believe Corsica's model's a little higher on him than that as well, but I mean, overall, you got a guy who is a very good NHL or a good NHLer right now and could easily take that step to being very good. 
For sure. And I mean, you also just look at his, his numbers in the queue as well, you know, to have back to back or 74 points in 67 games and then 75 points in 59 games in the queue. I mean, as a defenseman, that's really impressive. So I, I'd be kind of surprised if moving forward, he isn't like a, at least like a 40 uh, point defenseman, probably even more, to be honest. I, I know he only had 27 this past season, but um, so yeah, I, I know I'm expecting more from him and um, yeah, I, I think just overall Colorado is going to be pretty happy with this deal. I would totally agree with that. He was one of the guys that uh, when the Duchesne trade happened, you know, it would have been nice if Ottawa could have somehow cut Nashville out of that and traded yeah. Paris to Nashville for him. But yeah, I don't know. Other than that, I don't have much more to say on that situation. I think that Colorado is making a smart bet and it's a good enough bet that teams should be making. Uh, I think we won't see it too often with too many RFAs because as you can see with all the holdouts so far, I think a lot of them want a lot more money, kind of like in five years, like Aho and Matthews are now on. And that's understandable as well. But Gerard clearly likes it in Colorado. He clearly likes where they're heading. So uh, I think it's a good deal for both sides. Yeah, totally. Uh, moving on, uh, let's take a look at the Nikita Gusev trade now. So the New Jersey Devils traded for Nikita Gusev. They traded a second round pick this year and a third round pick next year, I believe. And uh, they then signed Nikita Gusev to a two-year deal, uh, $4.5 million cap hit. Do you have an opinion on Gusev at all or this what this deal and trade meant for the Devils or uh, the Golden Knights? I mean, it really makes the Devils a lot more interesting. Now they've got Taylor Hall, uh, Jack Hughes, P.K. Subban, Nikita Gusev. they got some pretty damn good players up front. Obviously, Gusev has yet to play a game in the NHL, but... 82 points in 62 games in the KHL this past season. He's, you know, he's been a point per game player there for four straight seasons now. Um, he's only 27, uh, so I, I just, I'd find it hard to believe that he won't be an impact player at the in the NHL level. Um, you know, maybe worst case scenario, he's like a 60 point player. I just, he seems way too talented to to be nothing, honestly. And it's weird to me that. I mean, Vegas had no leverage in in these trade talks, so I, I, they weren't really going to be getting more than what they got just because he is technically an unknown and hasn't played in the NHL. But I just find it weird that they were, you know, they weren't willing to pay Gusev four and a half million when they could have just traded guys like Reeves and Cody Eakin and you know Nick Holden and, and players like that. So it was just a bit weird that. Um, they weren't really willing to give Gusev a chance, even though he... It's not like they need the offensive uh, firepower up front, but another weapon. Just, like, why just give him up for free, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that as well. I think that, uh, from Vegas's point, I I was talking about this, I believe, last week with Chase, as I figured that they would just move someone like Ryan Reeves and maybe send someone down who's on, say, a $1 million cap hit or something like that. Uh-huh. And instead, they decided to move on from uh, Gusev. And, I, yeah, I don't really agree with it. I think playing Gusev, uh, having a top six of Stone, Pacioretty, Statsny, Carlson, Smith, Marcheseau, and Gusev as a seventh, or, like, you know, the, a top seven there, I guess, would have been yeah, better than paying Ryan Reeves $2.75 million again this year. I guess when I look at the trade, I think this is almost more than I was expecting them to get for a trade. I don't, like, they had no leverage and he was an unknown, so I guess good for getting yeah, a second man. or third, but, like, I don't know. I, I would have much rather see them re-sign him. I know, I think it was 
the Puck Soup podcast this past week was talking about how, yes, there is a pot. Gusev played on one of the most stacked teams in the KHL. It is a possibility that he's not quite as good at driving a line as we might think in the NHL. But as you said, I find it really hard to believe that he couldn't just be a point producer, especially on the power play. He, he was an absolute weapon on the power play in the KHL, and I think at the very least he could be, he should be that in the NHL. And I think that, you know, uh, New Jersey has given themselves some of the forwards to be able to put him with guys who are going to help him produce in the NHL as well. For sure. I mean, if he's, he's going to be playing with probably either Jack Hughes or Nico Heischer, and, you know, both of those guys are solid top six players. I mean, I would find it hard to believe that Hughes wouldn't be uh, very good right away. And to your point about potentially not being, you know, a, a play driver and, you know, maybe per- perhaps he's a bust or whatever. I just clicked on his team stats for uh, for this past season. So he had 82 points in 62 games. I wanted to guess what the second highest scorer on the team had uh, uh, in points. Which team was he on? He was on SKA St. Peter's. Okay, I'll go 70 on the dot. <laughs> 46. Oh, man. All 46. right. So he yeah. was 36 points up on the next guy. Yeah, so, so, I mean, this was like, he was so much better than everybody else on the team. And that included Pavel Datsuk. So it's, yeah, he was he was clearly the best player on that team. Datsuk had under 40 points this year? 42 points in 54 games. So not not terrible not as a 40-year-old. Yeah. The, the rumors of him wanting to return to the NHL seem more and more bogus every day. But yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, that, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, I don't see, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day too, let's say he is just an absolute bust on the NHL ice for some reason. These guys already have $8 million, $8.7 million in cap space. They can afford to eat him for another year. Yeah. Uh, or this year and next, I should say. Like, okay. it, it's not going to be a big deal. But I, I don't think they should have to worry about that happening. No, honestly, yeah. It, it, there's really not much risk at all. I mean, a second and a third, that's that's not nothing, but it's it's well worth the risk of a potential like first-line all-star caliber player. Yes, I, I would totally agree with that. Um, and yeah, for the Devils, I'm really... I am starting to like what their team's going to look like. I think if they can figure out how to get a save or two, they could be in a hunt, maybe. Not not quite there, maybe, but at least around a wild card spot in the East again. I'm not saying he will, because I think that entire division is kind of not all in the same boat, but a lot of the teams are in the same boat, where I could see them finishing, like, second in their division or being dead last. There's not too many really bad teams in the Metro. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I like them more than the Islanders. Like, I, I just think the Islanders are a huge paper tiger, and I think that... There could be a huge drop-off in, in goal next season, moving on from Robin Leonard, and now they're going to be relying on a pretty streaky Simeon uh, Varlamov. So, yeah, Devils could definitely make a wild-card spot as long as they can get some saves, and that's I feel like that's probably what it will come down to because you're right, their, their top six looks pretty good right now, and you know their D leaves something to be desired, but I think... It's not the worst. It's, be... it's much better than it was last year, at the very least. Yeah, it's much better, especially with Subban there, so... It's, yeah, I don't see why they couldn't challenge for a spot. Yeah, and again, I don't think that's a guarantee by any means. But yeah, I don't like the Islanders at all. I think they they remind me a lot of the 2017 Senators. Oh, yep. 2018 Senators, I guess. But yeah, I think in net, when it comes down to it, Mackenzie Blackwood's going to be able to need to take a starter's job. And they're going to have to probably tandem him and Corey Schneider together to get just even league average goaltending for the entire year. Yeah, and it's uh, it's that's not guaranteed to 
work out. Uh, I, I think Cork Schneider was amazing during his during his prime. Uh, he's obviously past that now, but Blackwood, you know, ha- had a pretty good good season in the NHL last year. So uh, you never know. Yeah, no, I think that he he definitely stepped it up near the end of the year. So it's not out of the question, but I it's definitely maybe not the most likely thing. They should be an exciting team to watch, and that's more than you can say about them in some of the past years. So. Definitely, yeah. Uh, moving on, let's go to a GM firing before we get to the two Tampa Bay things. Uh, the Minnesota Wild relieved Paul Fenton of his duties after just one year of being a general manager. I like this move from the Wild. I I think it's, in, in hockey a lot, we see the theory of sunk costs and how people completely ignore it, where it's, you know, something's completely a sunk cost, they should just get rid of it, but instead of that, we they keep a team keeps on trying to make it better and better, and it ultimately just makes it worse. Um, Paul Fenton had an absolute disastrous year and at the end of it, they cut him. It probably could have happened sooner, but what's your take on this? Well, it's a weird, weird timing for it. You know, I, I wonder what happened between say like the draft and free agency and now on August 1st, um, because you would hope that a new GM would be coming in and say May or June, and then would have a say in, uh, at the draft and, and free agency and things like that. So, um, some strange timing, but it's I can't re- remember the last time a GM got fired after just one season. That, that's pretty strange. But man, some of his moves were just pretty awful. Uh, first and foremost, the Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask trade. I mean, it's just very, very strange. Um, a obvious downgrade the second it was made. And some of the other ones, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember who did he get for Granlund again? It was uh, a, Kevin a, Fiala. Okay, so that that one wasn't too bad. Um, I, I'm failing to remember some here. of the other. I've got his cap trades. friendly pulled up here if you want. Okay, perfect. So yeah, yeah. he had the Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato and a fourth, and mm-hmm. there was some kind of condition on that. I think it it was Boston advancing past the second round, I believe. So it mm-hmm. it, it is a fourth. Um, and then he had the Niederreier for Rask. He sacked half of or most of their analytics team. Yeah, uh, they traded away, or no, sorry, they picked up Pontus Aberg for Justin Clues. That's a minor deal. They picked up Brad Hunt for a pick, then the Fiala one, and then they traded away Matt Hendricks for a seventh. Picked up Feder Gordy for a seventh. There was a lot of small things. Yeah, yeah. And then in the draft, they drafted uh, who was it? Was it Philip Johansson who went? Oh, they went way off the board. I think in twenty eighteen. Yeah, was, was it Philip Johansson? I think they went off, and then I think so. Yeah, I think yes, I believe that's who it was. They picked him twenty fourth overall, and I I believe he was like a third or fourth round projection. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, and maybe this isn't all him. Maybe this is part of his owner, but he takes an already old team and signs Jason Zucker to a five year, six million dollar per deal. I just yeah. Yeah, I don't really like what he was doing at all. And, I mean, the Nino for uh, Rask trade was just horrible. It was just brutal. Yeah. Wait, sorry, did you say did you mean, did you mean to say uh, Matt Zuccarello? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said Zucker. But, uh, oh. yeah, no, the, the, the Zuccarello one was really weird. I uh, I don't know what they're doing there. Like, I, I honestly don't know if they're trying to be good this season. Like, I guess they're trying that, but it's it's really strange. Now they're just stuck with a lot of worse guys like to, to me Fiala is just like a bit worse than Granlund and obviously Rask is quite a bit worse than Niederreiter and it's just they have some good players like they always do but yeah some some weird moves in there and honestly I think the biggest indictment is just him firing 
I, I'm blanking on the name, but um, the lead analytics guy um, for their for their department. And on Twitter, I mean, everybody was just talking about how this is one of the brightest minds in the game, and you know, he didn't even care for him. So it was uh, that, that's a bit of a baffling move. So I'm not I'm not really surprised that he ended up getting fired, but the fact that it was like just barely over a year after he came in. That's uh, that's not something you see very often in the NHL. No, I can't remember the last time that happened. And he also, <laughs> on the free agency day, had that weird quote about Matt Zuccarello yeah. and the lizard tongue. I, don't, I yeah. don't even... Something about how he's like a lizard. He sticks out his tongue and... Get, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, he was confusing. And yeah, as you said, firing the head of analytics and just quite a clear turn from analytics where it's like... You traded Nino Niederreiter just to kind of make a move, and you traded him for a guy who has much worse analytics than him. And sure enough, as soon as Nino Niederreiter gets placed off of the fourth line and onto a top six role, he absolutely lights it up in Carolina, whereas Victor Rask struggled all year. And I just... Do you want to take a guess at what their average age is for forwards? Um, 30.5. You're a little over. It's 29.2. And that's okay, because yeah, that's yeah. because they downgraded a little bit with the Kevin Fiala in age. Right. Um, and then on defense, they have a 28.4. And in goalie, they have 32.5. So this isn't a young team by any stretch. No. And they just, they added Zuccarello to get older. I just, yeah, I don't, like, I could, this team's not quite as bad as I think people say it is. They have, they usually have really strong underlying numbers. And they do have Bruce Boudreaux as their coach, who I do really like. But the thing is, this isn't a cup team. This is a team that maybe sneaks into a wild card spot and gets eliminated in the first, maybe second round. They've been stuck in purgatory for years now. They've always been in this range where they've they've never been bad enough to get a high pick. I, I mean, I think the the last high pick, quote unquote, high pick I can remember was the Grandland one, and I think even that was it was either ninth or tenth. And yeah, they've never. I, I don't, I'm assuming they have made the conference finals at one point, but I feel like that was early 2000s like I, mean, I don't think since I can't I remember they've made it since the 05 lockout so yeah it's it's been a long time where they've just kind of been in the middle well the la- and the last time they made it past the first round was that when they got swept by Chicago in round two or did they make it past them Pro- I think so I think so it's either that or they made it past and lost to St. Louis in a year after that or something like that too but yeah, yeah. like they just haven't made it past the second round in years and the problem is I don't really know how you blow this team up with so many like the contracts that you have yeah, and okay, so I, I just looked it up now. They, they've been to the conference finals once, and that was in 03. And uh, the last time they won a series was 14-15, beat the Blues, and then, yeah, you're right, uh, got swept by the Blackhawks. Right. Um, so, yeah, they've won two series uh, since... Huh. Yeah, they've only won four series in their whole franchise history, and two of them came in that one season. Jeez. That's, that's crazy. That's brutal. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even realize it was that bad. And... Yeah, like, I just don't know how this is going to change. I mean, maybe you just hope that Devin Dubnik's uh, expected goalie numbers catch up to him and you just bought him out for a year or two and get a couple high picks. I, like, I don't know. It's, yeah, I mean, if I were them, I would just blow it up because you would get a ton of young assets for, I mean, Zucker, probably move Dubnik, um, you know. Zucker, you could move. Yeah, I'm blanking on names here, but yeah. they they would have a lot of attractive pieces to move. So some team um, could probably take Eric Stahl. I mean, he still had a strong yeah. couple past years. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but 
not a, not a good place to be in right now. No. Um, with that, we'll move on to the big Tampa news, and then we'll move on to the Tampa and Sens trade. Andrew Andre Vasilevsky signed a eight-year extension that doesn't kick in for another year yet. Very high payday. It is was it nine point five? Cap friendly doesn't even have it. Yeah, nine point five. I can see. Oh, maybe it's not. Oh, yeah, there it is. Never mind. Yeah, eight years, nine point five average for seventy six million dollars. Uh, what are your thoughts on this deal? I think he's probably a tad overrated because of his because of playing in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, he's had really strong save percentages, uh, particularly in the past three years. You know, ended last year with a nine twenty five. So like that's that's elite. Um, and he's he's twenty five right now, so he's in his prime. Um, but I mean, he's twenty five now, so he's going to be twenty six next summer when the contract kicks in. And for eight years, I mean, he's going to be 34 at the end of that. So, you know, half of this contract is in his 30s. Uh, that's, that's pretty damn pricey, $9.5 million. There's not that many goalies that are making that much money or, or near around that, mu- that much money. So it's it's a big risk. And, you know, I, I, I don't think he's going to be worth that for very long. But at the same time, it's it's hard to know what else they could have done, you know, because he's going to be asking for that and, you know, reasonably asking for that because of his, his numbers over, uh, you know, over his first five seasons in the NHL. And I mean, you can't really trade him. Uh, like you, you have no one else that, that can, uh, can be a starter for them and you're not going to be getting a, an adequate replacement for him in a trade. So it's, it's a, it's a tough place for Julian Brisebois to be in. Um, but it's one of those contracts that probably isn't going to be great by the end, but much better than their rivals in Florida uh, with Sergei Bobrovsky. <laughs> I think that deal is just going to be a lot worse because he's, I think he's already thirty, isn't he? He's thirty-one, I believe, 30, this season. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's going to be a lot worse. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think I, I totally agree with what you said with Andre Vasilevsky. I think he is overrated uh, slightly. I think he's probably closer to like the between the five and ten range than he is one to five yeah. in best yeah. goalies. And that's, like, I, I, I don't know what you would have done, as he said. Like, you kind of had to pay him. Maybe the alternative of, I, the only thing I could think of is maybe just try and give him a couple more bridge deals and hope he takes that. But, I mean, that also probably strains the relationship with him, which when you're trying to compete for a cup, you don't exactly want. I'm just looking back at his numbers, and this past year he ranked 14th in goals saved above average for goalies with 40-plus games. Uh, he had a 0.98 goal saved above average, so it was literally just like one above average, according to Corsica. Yeah. Um, and then since the, I'll move back a season or two here. So for the past two years, I'm going to use a 4,000 minute cutoff, which would be about 80 games. Um, he ranks, let's see, where is he? A 13th at 4.49 over the two years. So like, Again, he's right around that, you know, I'd say probably top 10-ish goalie range where he's not bad at all. But yeah, like he, you probably are overpaying him for this. And I don't, yeah, I don't know what you do because do you, like I'm assuming he probably didn't want to go short term, which I again, fair enough to him. I'm never going to get mad at a goalie trying to maximize his value. Um, but now the Tampa Bay Lightning just made their cap crunches even worse because they got Kucherov at 9.5, Stamkos at 8.5. Uh, Hedman at 7.85, and uh, Vasilevsky at 9.5 next year. And they still need to re-sign Braden Point, which they just tried moving money out to do. Uh, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it seems pretty obvious that they're going to lo- have to lose a couple of Palat, Gore, Johnson, and Kalorn. Mm-hmm. And maybe even, you know, someone better that they don't really want to, to lose. And, like, yeah. But the thing is, like, I, I'm just looking at the cap friendly right now, and all the contracts that you want to move, I don't know. You're, you're either not going to, like, you're not moving um, Stamkos or Kucherov, obviously. You're not going to move Victor Hedman. You might want to try and move Ryan McDonough, but when you're competing for a cup, that's pretty hard to do. Like, I, it's another team that, like, I, I mean, they're situated as a cup contender again, so they're probably not complaining that much. They'll just deal with it year by year, but it, they're going to be in tough in the next few years for uh, Cap Crunch. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's why they had to, to move JT Miller earlier uh, to the Vancouver Canucks. And you're right, I think probably the most obvious uh, player to move would be Alex Kalorn. He's making uh, $4.45 million, which is a bit less than Platt, Gordon, Johnson, but I think the, the other three are, are definitely better than Kalorn. So, Much better. Um, you know, that that's a decent chunk of money there, and he's still got four seasons left on his deal. So um, they could probably move him eventually. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're going to do it year by year and, and see, you know, see what contracts they'll have to move out. They can still keep their core of Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, Hedman, Vashlevsky, I guess McDonough, too. Um, I, I think they will be fine. I feel like teams like this usually just find a way, um, you know, whether that's putting someone like Callahan, who we'll talk about later on LTIR, or, you know, doing whatever. But, yeah, I mean, Breeze was a smart GM, and, uh, you know, if I were a Lightning fan, I, w- I wouldn't really be too worried, especially with they've got just over $11 million in cap space right now to sign to re-sign uh, Point and Adam Ernie. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, one of the biggest things, they're, they're going to just have to bet on the prospects that they're drafting and just keep on coming up and producing. Guys in the minors right now like Boris Kachuk and maybe Cal Foote in the future. Guys like that where they're going to need to step up and take some kind of role on this team. And mm-hmm. I, that's what they've had so far, too. I mean, you look, you, like guys like Braden Point and Matthew Joseph and Anthony Sorelli have... They've really hit on those picks, and they're going to need to keep on doing that to supply themselves in the future. Eric Cernak's another name, but if they keep doing that, you know they're they're not going to have issues because they can keep replacing the guys we just talked about, maybe having to trade with those younger guys who can step up and fill the role. Exactly, and that and that's it's so important to have cheap players on their entry level contracts, and that's that's how contending teams are able to continue to contend and and not have their window closed. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. We're going to get to the Sens part uh, officially now. So let's start with the Tampa Sens trade. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning traded Ryan Callahan and a fifth round pick to the Ottawa Senators for Mike Condon and a sixth round pick. And I think I think that was it. I don't think there's another name. I don't know. Nope. Yeah. And um, I thought, okay, so I have a bunch of thoughts on this trade. At the end of the day, I think it's very whatever, for especially for the Senators. Uh, I saw a lot of people online taking this as a huge win for Pierre Dorian, and I guess, like, relative to the other moves he made, maybe, but overall, I see this as, at best, average. Like, just not good, not bad. I think that, yes, getting Condon out of the, a very crowded crease situation in Ottawa is good, so they can have guys like Gustafson and Hogberg take the starts in the AHL again this year. That's a good thing. But at the end of the day, I would have really liked to see them take more advantage of a strapped 
Tampa Bay Lightning team like we just talked about and maybe get more of an asset than a, a, a pick that honestly at the end of the day could be the difference of literally one spot if Tampa finishes yeah. first and Ottawa finishes last. Um, and it shouldn't shock anyone that this saves Ottawa in real dollars once again, and that could very well be why part of the move was made. I don't know. It's not the worst deal by f- at all. Like, it's not even a bad deal. It's just kind of disappointing that they didn't get more than what they could have, or what, than what they got, in my opinion. Yeah, and you can't call it a bad deal, because nothing is bad about it. I mean, even moving up one spot, it's you can't possibly call that bad. <laughs> no. it's, it's, you know, but I, w- I guess you could say... It's just you more hope that. Sorry, go ahead. It's just more disappointing than bad, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and you would, I guess, hope that they could have gotten more. Um, I, I kind of just see it as a wash. I mean, on the one hand, they, it would have been nice to get a first or second round pick for taking on Callahan's contract. Um, but then again, Otto really needed to move out Condon as well, not just because of his contract, but because of the spot he was taking up. Um, you know, they would have had way too many goalies in Belleville. It would have been like four. So I, I don't think Ottawa would have been able to move Condon without eating some money or giving up like a seventh round pick or something like that. Um, and they weren't going to buy him out or they couldn't buy him out, obviously. So, I mean, they pretty much just open up a goalie spot and move up a couple of spots in the draft. And yeah, so and, and like you said, they, they save uh, they save cash. And that's that's pretty much all that Eugene Melnick cares about right now. So it's it's a bit disappointing that it's another one of these trades. I mean, like, the past, like, five trades they've made have all had some sort of financial component to it where it's it's obvious that part of the reason they made this trade is because it helps not with cap space necessarily, but with real dollars and how much they actually have to pay. Um, so, yeah, it's... I don't know how anyone could actually be mad with this trade, but you're right, it's... Um, it would have been nice if, if it was like Ottawa gives up a sixth and then receives a third or a second or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that, that's what I yeah. would have really liked to see. But again, it, you, you can't lose sleep over it. I made a tweet yeah. yesterday. I saw like, I think like four or five media people literally def- like saying, great trade by Dorian. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to go that I mean, far either. Yeah, like, you can't call it like a great trade. Like it, Callahan's contract is terrible, so yeah. it's not, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's whatever. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. I thought they could have done better, but at the end of the day, whatever. Uh, looking down in the crease, they do have a crowded crease still, but they'll be able to make it work now. Philip Gustafson, Marcus Hogberg will probably be in the minors. Joey Decord's got to go somewhere, and I believe Mad Sogard can go to the WHL for another year? Yeah, he should be in the dub. Yeah. Uh, they also have uh, Alex Dubot, I think his name was, um, but he'll he signed an AHL contract, but I'm assuming he'll probably be their ECHL goalie for Brampton, so that's another name. Yeah, um, so I guess we'll move on to the Sens part then for sure. I wanted to talk to you about some of the Sens prospects you see that could make the team either out of camp or even just at some point this year. Because I did a two-part series earlier in like a couple weeks ago where I kind of looked at what the Auto Center's opening night lineup would be, might could be, and I kind of had a hard time trying to find spots for all the prospects again. It feels like they really do have still a lot of older guys to mix in. And so guys like uh, Max Verano and even guys like Philip Chalapic, who you think maybe could have made a spot, you go, oh, we might not actually have space for them. Who, what kind of rookies do you think are going to make this team up front and on the back end? Yeah, like you said, I mean, there's not that many spots open because bringing guys like Tyler Rennes and Connor Brown 
so there, there's not there's not too many spots available, but I think I I would be absolutely floored if Drake Batherson didn't make the team. Uh, I mean, they're incredibly thin on the right side. They pretty much have Brown and Bobby Ryan over there as as locks, and Batherson he, he might not be playing on the top line right away. Maybe he starts in the second line behind Ryan, but he's pretty clearly their best right winger right now, even if. He doesn't have seniority over Ryan. Um, and I think he would have been up in Ottawa at the end of the year if Belleville wasn't trying to make a playoff push. So definitely Batherson. I think Brown has a chance to make – sorry, uh, Logan Brown, that is, has a decent chance to make the team. Um, although, then again, down the middle, they've, they've got uh, Tierney, Pajot, White, and I guess – oh, well, Anisimov as well. I'm forgetting about Anisimov. So that, that's four guys right there. So – Brown is an option. I think uh, Jonathan Davidson is actually... No one's really talking about him, but I think he actually will sneakily make the team. He was the last cut uh, from the Blue Jackets last season before uh, before Ottawa acquired him in the Matt Duchesne trade. And he's a guy... You know, he spent the past couple seasons in the SHL. He's 22 years old. He's NHL-ready, I think. And he can probably be a decent player at the bottom six. So, you know, I, I think he'll make the team uh, on defense. I don't know if you count Christian Willannon as, like, a prospect anymore. I probably still should. technically did, but I probably shouldn't. Sure. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I think there's no reason why he shouldn't be in Ottawa. I think he's probably, like, their second-best defenseman right now. Um, so, I think he'll make it. Don't think Brandstrom will make it just because of the roster crunch after they added Hainsey. I think he might have made it if they didn't add him, but... I think they'll probably want him down in Belleville for maybe at least a couple months. And then, you know, injuries will happen. He'll probably be the first guy up. But yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Willannon, Batherson, Brown, Davidson. But, but I guess Brown, even Brown's a maybe. So I'll go with, I think my official prediction will be Batherson, uh, Batherson, Willannon, Davidson, and whew. And then same thing with Balsers. I don't know if you count him either. But I, I I counted him, I guess. Yeah, I'll say I'll say Balsers as, as well, I guess. Yeah. And then and then maybe Brown starts in the minors. Um, but it, it'll be tough. I mean, I left out other guys. You know, Alex Fermentin, um, Philip Philip Schlopik, like you said as well. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see who um, you know who makes it and, and who Ottawa is high on um, coming into into the season. Yeah. Um... I would agree with that. I think for just, I, I had the lines as Kachuk, Colin White, Anthony DeClaire up top. And then I started with Tyler Ennis, Pajot, and Connor Brown as a second line on opening night. I think that'll change by the end of the year for sure. But I figured that it wouldn't surprise me if uh, DJ Smith trusted maybe some more veterans uh, up front instead. And then my third line, I had Batherson making the team. I also had Logan Brown making the team to start to keep them together. I think the chemistry they had in the AHL was so undeniable yeah. that I think it would be smart enough to give them a shot up top, both of them. But, I mean, obviously you need to make the space for Brown, so maybe if it doesn't happen, he starts down. I could easily see it, too. I had them playing along Bobby Ryan. Uh, I didn't really have a spot that made much sense for Ryan, and I thought that maybe, you know, with two more skilled guys he could try and put the puck in the net or pass it to them so they could put the puck in the net a little more. And then my fourth line, I had Zach Smith, because I did this before the trade, so maybe you put an easy mob there. Chris Tierney and Rudolph Balsers with uh, Nick Paul and Mikel Bodker as extras. 
and I had Max Verano and Philip Chalapic as per, uh, possible replacements. I think Formenton definitely takes the Batherson route where he stays in the AHL for most of this year, and then post-deadline he gets called up. It wouldn't shock me. I, I mean, I know he made the team technically out of camp the past two years, but I think that was more because they kind of knew they could send him down without any worry. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't call him NHL ready, honestly. He looked pretty... Uh... He couldn't really finish his chances uh, in the few games that he did play last year. And, yeah, I'd really like to see him show what he can do offensively in the AHL first because I, I'm not totally sure that his that side of his game is totally there yet. I, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think he'll – like may, he, he might if the – say the Sens run into a bunch of injuries like they did at one point last year when Batherson came up. I could see him coming up for that situation, but other than that, I think he's got to start in the minors, especially with just the logjam of guys they have. Uh, mm-hmm. Dave, Davidson's a really good one, too. I didn't even think of him like many people didn't, and I, I think maybe he could replace um, someone like, oh, who did I just say I had on the bottom six there? Maybe even, like, he, he might even be able to take uh, Nick Paul's role as the 13th forward. I just put Pencil Paul yeah. in there because... I think he's earned a shot at this point, and I just don't yeah. see what good sending him down to the AHL for yet another year would be. Davidson could even take Balser's spot on that fourth line, and if you want to give Balser's a little more time in the AHL as well. And, and that's that, true. I, I like Nick Paul a lot, and I, I I really wish he could be on the fourth line. I just, from from what the Senators are doing, I just don't think that they are going to put him there. Maybe they keep him there for like a week or two just to see what he can do. I think he's a perfect fourth line center, like very strong defensively. Um, but there's just like no spots open. And I, I don't think he's, he'll probably end up going on waivers at some point because I just, yeah, I, I wish they could keep him, but I, I don't think it'll happen. I, yeah, I would agree with that too. I, I'm just kind of holding on to hope that maybe they play him as a 13th forward. And, but I mean, again, like even Mikel Bodker, I wasn't sure where to put him on, on defense. I got, yeah. I have Branstrom penciled in, but I could definitely see him starting the year in the minors. I had a Shabbat, a Shabbat, Hainsey, Branstrom, DeMello, Borwacki, Zaitsev. And then I really wanted to put Willannon in my top six, but I have him in the seventh D because if I have Branstrom making the team, I don't, unfortunately don't see Willannon bumping out Borwacki, which is an absolute shame because, as he said, I think he is easily the Sen's second best defenseman. Yeah, and that I'm very worried for <laughs> Will Lannan's Will uh, future with under DJ Smith, just because for some reason I feel like they're gonna think that they can't have Thomas Shabbat, Eric Branstrom, and Christian Will all in the same lineup just because they're you know sort of similar-ish offensive type defensemen. Um, and, you know, they're going to need some, like, truculent guy like Borvieski on the third mm-hmm. pairing. So I just, I'm a bit worried about that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But And I could definitely see um, him being in the minors at some point. And if that happens, I know a lot of people are going to be pretty upset with that because I think that would be a pretty dumb dumb move just because, well, I mean, Willannon's already 24. It's not like... He's some young, um, unproven guy at this point. No, yeah. I'd say he's not getting much better than what he is, so you may as well use him now. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just totally I, I agree with everything he said there. I really hope – I mean, he's got another year left now. Like, he's got two years left in Ottawa, so I'm hoping maybe that they do have some plans for him in their future. A name that I left out of my defensive roster that played a lot of time last year, but I don't think he should be starting with the team – 
is Christian Yaros. I I think he starts in the AHL, and I think he probably needs to after what we saw last year. Yeah, and I... I'm definitely lower on him than than a lot of people are. I think there's a lot of people that think he can become a top four defenseman, and I, I just I don't see that. I to me he wasn't even like a good third pairing defenseman. I think he showed some potential for sure, but I I think it's pretty early to you know say that he's an integral part of the defense core moving forward. I think he's a lot more valuable just because he is right-handed, but. I'm a lot more excited for a lot of other prospects on defense that the Senators have. And yeah, it, it's not as if I, I don't need him to be an offensive defenseman. I mean, they kind of needed to be that shutdown guy, but he wasn't really that shutdown guy. He was giving up a lot of shots when he was on the ice. So yeah, I, I would be fine with that. And same thing with Max Lejoie. I think he really needs to go down to Belleville again, find his game. Um, and not be paired with Cody Ceci. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I guess in Yaro's defense, uh, when we're looking at teammates, his two most used partners were Mark Boweki and Ben Harper. He played 350 minutes at 5v5 with Boro and another 150 at, with Harper. That's not that's not great by any means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I just don't... He's clearly not ready for the NHL. And I mean, even when he played... Uh, 116 minutes with Thomas Shabbat, he still had a 46% Corsi and a 42.5% expected goals. Uh, now that's still somehow slightly better than some of his other partners, but uh, yeah, him and Lajoie, I definitely think just aren't ready. And I think the overhype of them early last year, I mean, they both kind of started out pretty hot last season when they were up and I think that just kind of carried them throughout the year when it was pretty obvious near the end where it was like, uh, these guys should not be NHL players uh, this season anyways. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, it's, I don't know how many games either of them are going to play in the NHL this year. I think, I think Yaros is more of a lock to play a lot more than, than Lajoie just because of the logjam on the left side. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem with, with Yaros, uh, either sitting out some games or playing in Belleville for a bit. Yeah. Um, I guess real quick, we'll go, we only get a couple minutes left here and I don't want to keep you up too long. Um, I wanted to hit on one more thing and then maybe some possible trade options. Quickly. I want to see where you think Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev fit into this lineup and how many minutes a night they play. I have Ron Hainsey as a probably playing what his role was in Toronto, unfortunately, where he was the top pair with Morgan Riley, in this case Thomas Shabbat, and also playing a lot of penalty kill minutes. Yeah, I I don't actually have an issue with Hainsey being on the PK. I mean, he's actually had some decent uh, penalty kill results, so that would be fine with me. Um, I would definitely have a big problem with him being paired with Shabbat because Dylan DeMello was a fantastic partner for Shabbat last season. So, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So... Yeah, but having said that, I think uh, I think Zaitsev will get a, a decent. I think I think DJ Smith really trusts Zaitsev, so I think he'll be probably on the second pairing. And I, I honestly don't know if Smith is going to trust Hainsey enough to put him on the first pairing or to put him on the third. It's I could I bet you he'll you know sort of go back and forth between playing with Shabbat and say Borvieski or or Willanen or, or something like that. So yeah, it's. I think both of them will probably be overplayed this season, especially uh, Zaitsev if he's constantly on the second pairing. And if anything, I think he'll probably just 
you know, be the new Cody CC in, in that he's going to be playing, I don't know, 22, 23 minutes a night or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, probably put up similar results because he's not that great. Um, and Hainsey, definitely a bit less. Uh, it's hard to say exactly how many minutes. Um, I'm just going to look up his, so what his average uh, time on ice last season was, wow, it was that high. Holy, it was 20 <laughs> minutes and 15 seconds. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to say he plays a bit less just because, um, I mean, two seasons ago, it was all the way up to 22 minutes. So uh, he's also getting older. He's going to be 38 this season. So maybe 18 or 19 minutes, which still is obviously too much for him uh, at his age and skill level. But uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of fans are going to be a bit frustrated at how much they play. Um, but then again, I'm not going to ridicule Smith just yet for something that hasn't happened. Um, I just, I, I got low expectations for how the, the D is going to be run this season. Yeah, me too. And I, I will say that if Hainsey, so if your options on the right side, you very, feel very strongly that Hainsey, DeMello, Zaitsev are your three. If you're going to, as long as you're not taking obvious ice time away from a young guy who deserves it on the right side, I don't really hate the idea of a stealth tank where you play Hainsey maybe a little more than you should. I mean, yeah. if, if I had to choose, it would be DeMello with Shabbat because, I, as you said, they were really good together last year. I don't see why they shouldn't be together. I just, I don't know, I don't have the ton of faith, but DeMello with Shabbat and then I guess Saitsev as your second pair and Ron Hainsey on the third and just a ton of PK minutes. Like, it's not ideal, but, like, for the, as long as Hainsey is only here until the trade deadline, I really don't have a problem with it. Like, I don't expect this team to be good, so as long as he's not hurting the development of the our play, like of the younger guys, it's probably not quite as much harm as people are going to think, but it will be rough to watch for the first 50 games or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. I, I just don't want... I really don't want someone like uh, some someone like Willannon getting his ice time taken away. Um, I think Brandstrom will be in the minors for a decent chunk of the season anyway, so that's not too, too big of an issue. Um, and obviously Shabbat's, you know, a walk on the first pairing. So, yeah, it's pretty much just Willannon, I think, that will be the main guy that gets uh, screwed over by things. Um, and as you said, like, Lejoie and Yaros are probably going to be uh, the odd man out a lot of the times anyway. So it, it probably isn't too big of a deal for a team that's clearly going to be one of the worst in the league. I would definitely agree with that. Um Quickly, our last thing before I let you go here, I just wanted to ask you uh, of who you think are potential trade um, target or not trade targets, I guess, for Ottawa at the deadline this year. I'll give you a couple of names of the UFAs, and you tell me if they are staying or going. There's only a few up front and a few more on the back end. So we have Mikel Bodker is up this year, staying or going? Sorry, staying at uh, like in Ottawa in or trade being traded at the deadline? Yeah. Um. Staying only because I don't think anyone's going to take him. I would say I would say traded for most teams because I think you could maybe eat half his salary and find some team who wants him as maybe a 13th forward, yeah. but Ottawa's not going to do that. Yeah. Um, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, traded or staying? Staying. I'm also, I, I think I agree on that. It depends, I guess, what he's asking for on a new contract, but he is yeah. someone I could see Ottawa wanting to lock up. Yeah. I mean, he's making $3.1 million right now. I, if he's getting any more, then that's definitely an overpay. I mean, he's it's more of like a 30-point player. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's going to be someone that they they want to keep around for at least the next few years. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Ennis? Uh, 
he's he's uh he's leaving. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Uh Ron Hainsey. Leaving. I'm gonna say leaving as well. Mark Borwecki. Definitely staying. <laughs> We're not getting rid of him that easy. Yeah. And Dylan DeMello. I wanna say uh staying. I, I, I was gonna say stay. I could see that well, I mean he was just he was a big piece in the Carlson trade. I just don't see them flipping yeah, him. Yeah, true. Like, and, I, and I hope he does stay because I think he's you, you could put him on any pairing on on the defense and and he could you know be at least adequate. So I think that's pretty valuable and and he's really cheap too. So. Yeah, he's yeah. their best right-handed defenseman right now by a mile and probably yeah. their third best defenseman on the team. Maybe even yeah. second if you want. Like, so yeah, yeah. So. Um, and then I guess in goal we have Craig Anderson. I think he's staying. I, I think he retires a Sen. I think yeah. he's, he's earned that right as well. Um, I mean, if he absolutely lights it up and some team wants to take him as like a Keith Kincaid from this past season, what the Jackets did maybe, but I, I just, I see him staying. Yeah, and they would have to eat money on that, so it's probably unlikely that he gets traded. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's about it, I think. Is there any... Guys who aren't up this season that you could see being moved. Uh, I guess that there's RFAs too. Connor Brown, Chris Tierney, Anthony Duclair are the three RFAs that mm-hmm. have a little bit of potential. But I could out of out of anybody, I would say Tierney just because he's he's already redundant, and I think he will be even more redundant moving forward. You got Colin White, Jean Gabriel Pajot, uh, Josh Norris, Logan Brown, a lot of guys who are kind of top nine centers who aren't really, you know, I think Brown has the highest potential out of all of them, but even he, I don't, I don't think he's going to be like a star level player. So they're all sort of like second line center types and like, or maybe even more, more like third line centers. So I just, I don't really see why they need to keep Tierney long term and they could probably get like a decent return for him considering he's, he's still only 25. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Trevor, plug some stuff. Where can people find your work? Uh, yeah, uh, first you can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS, um, yeah, read my articles at HockeyBuzz.com, and uh, yeah, like you were mentioning earlier, I co-host the Cost Per Point cast with uh, Colin Cudmore, and uh, although actually now we, uh, we're partnered with uh, SB Nation, so on you can find it on Spotify and iTunes and Stitcher, but it'll be listed under Silver 7, so um that's uh, under the SP Nation banner. So, yeah, those are the places you can find me. Uh, I would definitely recommend going and checking out his podcast, especially if you're a Sens fan. Him and Colin have great stuff. Uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to when you guys post. Uh, uh, keep up the great work, and thanks for joining the show. Thanks, I really appreciate it. No problem, anytime. Huge thanks to Trevor for jumping on the podcast there and helping me out. Uh, Chase is having a good time in BC with some family. He should be back next week, I believe, when we record. But uh, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. As I uh, mentioned, I had the Ottawa things. I've been doing rumors and stuff like that. As well as lwos.life, where I've been breaking down all of the MCU movies. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. And you can follow Chase at Twitter on Twitter at cmhockey6666. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week.